This is Are We Europe, the podcast for changing continents. We ask the small questions and get the big answers. We dive into all things European cultures and identities and bounce all over the continent. It's about the places and people that come to life in sound-rich stories. Readouts from our print magazines, episodes from one of the amazing podcasts in our podcast family, or intimate behind-the-scenes interviews with our favorite storytellers and Europe's most talented creators. We got it all on this channel. It's Europe, streaming right in your ears. Are we Are we on? Are we, are we Europe? What the truth is and how it should be told. I think there are a lot of borders to be broken. You can build it together. Community. And I believe in Josh. Open minds, open borders, openness. Try to make Europe sexy with all senses. Are we? Are we? Are, are we, we Europe? Europe? <laughs> what up? Are we Europe? Boom. Strap yourselves in for behind-the-scenes interview with Andre Popoviciu, author of the flagship story from our latest print magazine, The Queer Issue. Annalen Opov, the editor-in-chief of this issue, sits down with Andre to discuss his story, Queer and Roma, or Queer and Romanian. Enjoy the show. Bianca Varga was a regular at Queen's, Bucharest's only queer club. Nestled between a communist block of flats and the more modern office building, Varga felt it was one of the few spaces in the Romanian capital where she could express her gender fluidity and let loose on the dance floor, surrounded by people like her. One evening, she decided to go as Yosef, her masculine gender identity, dressed in not-so-flashy clothes and without any makeup on. A couple of drinks into the party, as Yosef was starting to get into the mood, two bulky bodyguards approached him and his friend. A phone had been stolen, they learned and the bodyguards wanted to search them. After not finding anything on them, they proceeded to kick them both out of the club. Yosef called the manager, whom he knew from his nights at the club as Bianca, and told him to come and sort out the situation. He felt that he and his friend were only suspects because they were Roma. The manager realized the bodyguard's mistake and, embarrassed, asked the pair not to call the police. I'm used to being accused of stealing, but the most frustrating thing is that it happened in an LGBTQ club, says Varga, who is Roma and has Hungarian roots. Being the first one who was checked when something was stolen in an LGBTQ club that was supposed to be an inclusive space really bothered me. Thanks for sharing this part of your story with us, André. The European LGBTQ plus landscape is wading through some dangerous currents these days. Poland has LGBT free zones. Hungary voted on an anti-LGBTQ plus law. Can you tell me a little bit about the situation for the queer community in Romania? Romania is quite a conservative religious country. And that has a huge bearing on how people see the queer community and pretty much anything that's out of the ordinary or is not traditional really. So it's not an understatement to say that queer people are still discriminated, not integrated, and really kind of frowned upon within Romanian society. And I think what I often hear from a lot of people is not that they hate queer people or that they don't like queer people. It's just that they don't want to see queer people, <laughs> which is pretty much the same thing, though in their vision it's just a thing. It's like, why are you so visible? Why do you matter so much? Why do you matter more than us? So it's like, you can love who you want to, but just not in front of me. 
Exactly, which is not really. Oh no, that is not acceptance. <laughs> exactly right. And you mentioned that it's a highly religious country. Do you think religion and this stance on queer rights come hand in hand in Romania? Definitely, to a certain extent, because you know a lot of people invoke when justifying their opinions about queer people are religious, right? You know, it's not natural. This isn't the way God left things, and so on. So. It has religious undertones. Uh, this view of people in the Romanian society who are not so accepting. For example, we had the family referendum that I mentioned in my piece in 2018, which framed the whole question of gay marriage in religious terms. Mm -hmm. Is the family between a man and a woman? Will the constitution mention that specifically that the family is between a man and a woman? And that really shows you know, how deeply entrenched religion really is in the way people see this paradigm of accepting queer people or not. Yeah, and just into what is acceptable in general in life and in lifestyles. Exactly. So your piece, which was picked as the flagship story for the queer issue, centers around the experiences of queer Roma in Romania. What do you want to tell with your long read? I felt like it was a really, really important story to tell, not just because it was underreported, But because the experiences of queer Roma people in Romania represent, you know, the the essence of discrimination, I might say, in Romania. So when you kind of pick a story, you want to look at the section of society or, uh, you know, you want to define the contours of a society. It is helpful to see which are the people who are most discriminated or excluded, right? And through that, that's like a window into how European societies or any societies in general are shaped and what their values are overall. And I think it really highlights that. So how are these people, which are, you know, in my opinion, the most vulnerable to discrimination in the Romanian society, how are they treated and, you know, how are they seen, are they accepted, are they helped and so on. So I think that was like something that really drew me to looking into this and talking to these people to see, you know, what their struggles are, but also how do they fit in or not within the societal context in Romania. You say that Roma people in Romania are already one of the most vulnerable groups. I think it's maybe a community that's been talked about a lot, but maybe a lot of people don't really know what a Roma community is, what a Roma person is, how many of there are in Romania and around Europe. Can you just tell us a little bit more about Roma people, both in Romania and in Europe? I must say I'm not an expert on this or any kind of voice of authority over the history of Roma people in Romania. But I think there's almost two million Roma people in Romania and it's a big ethnic community. And this is not just in Romania. I mean, they're everywhere. It might come surprising, but also I think the biggest Roma populations in the world are in the United States and in Brazil, actually. So it's not in Europe, even though, you know, it is often thought that Romania is the, the origin place of, of Roma people and that, you know, a lot of the times even all Romanians are Roma. But we're actually, I think, fourth in the world in terms of like a Roma population. And yeah, I mean, generally, this whole community is seen, let's just say, not in positive terms. Their presence in Europe or in Romania really is not new. Roma people have been in Europe for centuries and Romania wasn't the first place where they kind of arrived when they came from South Asia, right? So Roma people don't have necessarily like one specific nationality, just like an ethnic group, which is everywhere and are part of any societies they are in. 
So you've touched upon double discrimination already because people are Roma. And then in your story, you are specifically talking about queer Roma people, which is kind of a refreshing angle, I think, that I haven't really seen in any news reports. Uh, why is that intersectionality between Roma and queer identities so underreported? So you're right in saying that it's an underreported issue. And that's what basically drew me to the story is like, how are these people with these unique identities getting by really in Romania, which is a, such a traditional society? And yeah, I think these identities are invisible usually, right? Like, as I said, with Roma people, they're there, they're everywhere, but they're not really accepted how they should be, how other ethnicities should be maybe. And that is, that's the same with the queer people and the queer community, which is, you know, often rendered as a minority that's invisible and that's like not there, but actually like Roma and queer people are everywhere. And, you know, I think this whole context in which these both communities are often made invisible, even though they're not, is, you know, what made this kind of story or this kind of area so underreported and not covered really. So I think, yeah, that really drew me to looking into this is like, how are these two identities, which are often invisible, how are they merging together? And what is the experience that is found at the intersection between the two? Yeah, I really love the pitch coming in. In the beginning, we didn't necessarily know what format to put it in, but I think it fits very well in the overall angle of the queer issue, which is, you know, showing all these underreported topics and communities and, uh, and making sure that we make a magazine that is accessible both to people who know barely anything about queer culture and to people who are queer themselves and who are, you know, interested in learning more and discovering. That it was very nice. And I would actually be curious to ask you, what was the process of selection in terms of picking these different stories? And did you struggle at all with being inclusive or like comprehensive with, you know, publishing or highlighting so many experiences. I mean, you didn't have a lot of space, right, to include like all these lived experiences. So was the process or the challenges in, you know, deciding which one should go in or which one not, or, you know, whether you had to reach out to people who would write about things that you weren't even pitched? Honestly, it was such an interesting process. Obviously, I had some angles that I wanted to include, but are we Europe works on a pitch base. So we set a topic and we set an angle and then we receive pitches. We received about 90 of them. And some topics that I wanted were never pitched. <laughs> so kind of had to let that go, which is a little bit sad. I wanted something about punk and queerness uh, in it. But I think other topics were so eye-opening as well because we would have never thought about it. For example, yours, but then also the third gender community in Naples, Italy. And I think in terms of inclusivity, you kind of have to let go of the idea that you can represent everybody mm. in terms of nationality, geography, but also space on the queer spectrum. And to make an accurate selection of both articles and writers as well. So right. we had questioned at some point if we should publish only queer authors. Mm -hmm. And because we wanted this to be more of a conversation starter, we landed on a 50-50 divide and not in an OCD kind of way. But I did have my post-its on the wall, kind of counting 
how many people of color, how many people with a migration background, how many people who self-identify as queer or not, just to make sure that we challenge ourselves to look outside of the bubbles that we exist in. It was already very helpful that the full editorial team at Are We Europe for this issue identifies as either queer or closely related to it. But yeah, for the rest, I think it was as long as we had the utmost intention to represent as many voices as we could, we still needed to pick and choose. Mm -hmm. And we ended up publishing much more than I was allowed to. (laughs) (laughs) So it's quite a thick magazine. So in the end, we just tried to make a selection based on the content of the pitch. Like if it's a good pitch, that also makes a good selection of authors. I definitely think I had the same kind of challenge when I was writing my piece and choosing the characters that I wanted to put and feature within it, right? Because obviously Roma queer people are different and queer is such a broad term that it you know, includes all these you know, different types of people with different experiences from like gender fluid, uh, gay, transgendered and all these things. So for me, it was also a challenge of you know, how many characters, how many experiences of Roma people do I put in and how many yeah, different types of uh, sexual orientations, but also gender identities do I include? For example, the main character who I decided to stick with was Bianca, Bianca Varga, who's gender fluid, has such an interesting life story and kind of moves in between these two identities as she wants. And I found that that's very representative and interesting story that kind of had a lot of these elements that I wanted to say. But obviously there were so many other people that I wanted to feature and I wanted to highlight their stories in it, right? So it was Antonella, this is a transgendered person. I had Marianne, who is a, a gay person. And also like queer people who define themselves more broadly and are not necessarily, you know, set on certain labels. Non-binary researchers also, you know, that was also something I wanted to say. If I bring in experts, you know, they should be part of the community and they should be Roma as well. So that was something that I wanted to do is like everyone must be Roma and queer. As you said, the story is not only or not really focused on the lived experiences of these queer Roma people that you're featuring, it's actually about activism, right? And how they use activism to fight for, you know, LGBTQ plus rights and other rights. Is there anything interesting that you learned during covering this story? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was full of lessons, I think, from all stages, you know, from starting from interviews to writing and, you know, even the editing process and all that stuff. So I think it was full of things to learn. I definitely didn't know what the story would be about when I first started it, which I quite like when I do something, not going in with the preset kind of idea of what I want to write, but then writing based on what the people who I interview share with me, right? So it was an unexpected thing to talk to these people and really get a sense of how they use their identities that are very vulnerable to discrimination. To be activists is like you're in such a vulnerable position but you're also doing something that's the most courageous right the most visible so that's such a big thing to think of this whole dynamic of someone who's so vulnerable does something so courageous yeah it's really about putting yourself out there exactly and you know through that these people are best positioned to be at the forefront of activism right because they know best you know what it means to be discriminated from all sides right from all perspectives from all for all of their identities not just for 
being able for their ethnicity as well, from the way they speak, for their backgrounds and so on. So being vulnerable to discrimination doesn't mean you're not powerful to fighting it. Yeah, and I think it really ties in into this self-reflection that a lot of activists or activist circles have been doing as well the last years that many fights are led by white, quite privileged in, in some way, people. That doesn't make the activism itself as inclusive as it should be. So I think this is also just like a very nice example of how it can be done differently. Exactly. No, definitely. And I mean, not to say that there isn't that happening in Romania, right? Like there has been cases in which queer movements or queer organizations have been led by, you know, white straight women. So there's definitely that determination on part of queer Roma activists to change that and challenge the classic traditional structures of activism that you very often find maybe not just in Romania, but in other places, or just gay men, you know, or anti-Roma discrimination led by only Roma men. So a lot of these things have really come out through this story, right? That what you challenge outside the community, you need to challenge it within the community because otherwise, you know, it's futile what you're doing. Yeah, of course. And how did you personally relate to the characters and was it easy to establish a good connection with them for them to open up and share their story with you? I think that was definitely a difficult thing to do considering, you know, we were in the midst of lockdown really at that point. I was unable to travel to Bucharest where most of them were based to actually meet them and spend you know, time with them and seeing them in action. So I think that was quite hard for me to do. So I tried to go around that by having a lot of talks with them, right? Like we were talking on the phone quite a lot. There were like multiple interviews and messages that we were exchanging, but also using a lot of other auxiliary resources, you know, like their books, you know, Antonella wrote an autobiography about her, their social media posts. A lot of these things really helped me, you know, establish a better understanding of their story. As for the connection, I mean, obviously it definitely helps that I'm Romanian. So being able to communicate freely with them in their mother tongue, you know, it will always be beneficial for helping them open up about their stories, which are often quite traumatic maybe, or sensitive, or, you know, yeah, sometimes it's not something they might want to share with someone who's not Romanian or someone who doesn't really get the context of Roma people within Romania, because that's such a big part of it. Even in how you frame your questions and how you interview them and how you talk about their experiences, like unless you know what it means to be Roma, you can't really know. But if you're Romanian, you are surrounded by this whole debate all the time. So yeah, that's definitely was super helpful for me to be Romanian and understand all these things and not have to ask them about it, right? Because at the end of the day, they don't have to educate me about the Roma struggle. It's more about their stories and so on. Is there anything during these personal conversations that came as very unexpected to you? I think like in all the reporting I do, I always go in with an idea or maybe like a imagined reality. And then, you know, that really kind of dissipates as I start talking to people and realize what the true story is. And I know I said, you know, you don't decide what the story is before you start talking to the people but you do kind of have to know like what am I focusing on what's the angle what's the story really about for example I didn't imagine that there would be contradictions within the community of how activism should be done I don't know if I can call it conflict but there's definitely like differences in opinion between 
activists on how to do this activism you know is it an activism molded on western values you know or is it like a pure romanian intersectional activism you know do you draw from things abroad do you create your own type and approach to change or you know one of my sources roxana was saying about you know this process of colonization that you go through as an activism and it's like you have the german the american or the british model that you kind of mold your activism around or you try to replicate kind of the same attitudes and then you realize it's not actually you know 100% applicable and then you know you decolonize yourself into doing it maybe the romanian way or like the your own personal way and it's like a whole process of you know how do we do this what are our models is it rooted in reality we live or is it just something we borrow like you also said we all have an opinion how things should go and what it means to be an activist or what it means to be queer or what it means to make a magazine about queerness and i think because it's quite a sensitive topic still for some a little bit more sensitive than others there's a lot of differences in opinion and uh we surrounded ourselves with an editorial panel to kind of avoid having to be the spokesperson for the queer community or avoid passing off as people who know everything so we surrounded ourselves with four advisors who are either you know organizations working with activists or artists and editors and you know people from within the queer community were very knowledgeable it was interesting sometimes to see which articles or which topics i naturally as a person as a human being shy away from and now how they kind of like put it back on the agenda and say like no you're not going to do this and in the same way as well like some things that were very dear to my heart it helped sometimes to pass it through or past other people and see how they reacted to it so yeah a lot of challenges i mean of course talking about gender identity brings a lot of sensitivity in terms of language and how language is also power and can be abused and, and misused so i think there was a lot of stress and and double checking and triple checking and quarter checking that pronouns were correct that mm. uh you know everybody's represented in the way that they chose to be represented mm-hmm. i think that seeps deeper into how much editing do you do in a piece completely yeah i i definitely felt that while writing the piece as well right there was definitely this struggle between a well crafted narrative and then highlighting everyone's story that i spoke with and highlighting it in a way that doesn't lose context right like maybe out of definitely wanted a shorter more centered piece around one character mm-hmm. but then you know i mean the whole thing was about trying to understand multiple people's experiences before i deep into analyzing you know what they mean within the context of the romanian society i i i think you uh, you did quite well and that is also what a flagship story is about like you have kind of almost unlimited space from us uh and you kind of tell us like what you need to tell the story correctly and i think yeah one of the other big challenges is that of course there's a lot of issues and problems uh surrounding lgbtq plus rights uh especially nowadays in europe and you don't want to shy away from them um but at the same time a lot of the times when the lgbtq community is in the news it's as a victim and we also didn't want to victimize the whole community because there's so much power and activism and joy 
and creativity and art in it. So that is another balance. So it was just balancing everything. Completely. That was, yeah, okay, I'm repeating myself, but I feel like your editing process, the challenges maybe you faced were like almost the same as me doing this piece or reporting and writing it. You know, like you said, the, um, you know, not painting people in, in, you know, the most terrible situations of, or like points of their lives, but also like, it's also important to not sideline those things, right? And, you know, share the things that they they shared with you as a journalist in a way that's good. But then going beyond that and also showing how they took back control of, you know, their discrimination narrative um, and kind of have come on top with that. So, yeah. I think towards the end of the article, you mentioned a queer Roma flag waving in a garden in Bucharest, if I'm correct. And it made it so visual and almost, yeah, joyful and really reclaiming your space. And then I wondered, what does that flag look like? Is it like a rainbow on top of a different flag? It's the LGBTQ plus rainbow flag. And on top of it is an element from the Roma flag, which is a 16-spoke cartwheel. And that's like put over the LGBT flag, you know, and it's such a beautiful, you know, metaphor in a way that these two identities exist. And then actually having it in reality in a place, it's like, okay, this is the thing you see. This is like the colorful flag you see. It's not like the EU flag, it's not the Romanian flag. It's like, this is the flag of our identities, right? Which is so interesting. So I think it's quite beautiful, you know, to have this flag of that kind of represents not your nationality or your political structure or whatever. It's a flag of who you are. Yeah, I can imagine that for some people, it almost feels like a welcome home sign. And it's a sign they don't see in queer clubs they go to. Uh, like I start my piece with Varga going into an inclusive LGBT club in Bucharest, but actually she's not welcome there because she's Roma. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there there are spaces maybe uh, that don't welcome both identities and it's great to see that they exist still. And I think that is also why it fits so well in the queer issue where you can find stories about scientists performing in drag, about third gender communities that have been there for ages and centuries in Naples and about the limits of labels. So different underreported topics and communities are really being put in the spotlights. And you can get your copy at areweeurope.com slash store. 